This is my third time up here, and it is getting a little bit better every time, but I am still, like, heart is beating on my chest, so uh, you'll just have to overlook any nervous twitches that I have, and hopefully the content will still come through. Um, so I've actually been, like, so excited to share uh, from Nehemiah since, uh, actually, a couple of months ago, I was driving through one of the neighborhoods, uh, Morton Grove, if you know where that is, and there was this building that's named Nehemiah. It's on the next slide. Um, and it just kind of struck me, you know, and it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, a construction, um, real estate, they do all those kinds of things, business. Um, but it just struck me and it stuck with me. And I was like, I haven't read the book of Nehemiah very often. And the next morning when I was having a quiet time, I, I started reading through it and I just felt like there was so much in there that, that God was speaking to me in this season. Um, so I started buying books, like commentaries, studying Nehemiah, reading it over and over and over again. And I told Hugh I'd be happy to share. And then yes, Saturday, as in yesterday, Gavin asked what I was sharing today, and I told him that I'm actually not 100% sure <laughs> what I'm sharing. So even though I had a lot on my heart, I wasn't sure exactly where God wanted to take it. Um, but actually, Nehemiah is... is what struck me about it is kind of a gospel message. And I know Hugh's going to share the gospel next week, but there's something that about it that is good for even Christians who've been a Christian for a while. There's a gospel message in it that is relevant to all of us. And so I'm going to kind of a little bit retell the story. So forgive me if it's um, a little bit of a recap or a paraphrase of the story, but I think it's actually important to understanding uh, what God did is to understand the whole story. So... Um, and also in context. So I'm going to actually, he's got the timeline up there already. So Nehemiah is kind of uh, important because it's the last historical book that we have of, of Israel. So Israel is this long story of God loving these people, these people who, you know, we know are not very faithful to God. But it ends with Nehemiah coming and rebuilding the city of Jerusalem that had been broken down and destroyed. The temple had been destroyed. So just a look at the timeline it starts with Abraham. God chooses Abraham. Abraham's his friend. He chooses to make him the father of the nation of Israel, right? The father of many nations. Abraham follows God, leaves his home. He has a son, Isaac. Isaac has twin sons, Jacob and Esau. Jacob is, is the one God chooses to rename Israel, after whom Israel is named after, and he has 12 sons who become the 12 tribes of Israel. Um, Joseph, one of the sons, sold into slavery into Egypt. He rises to a place of power and actually ends up bringing the whole, all of his brothers and um, his mother and father into Israel in a famine, and, and God preserves them in the famine in Egypt. But the Egyptians are kind of threatened by Israel because they're growing and they're strong, and so they start to oppress them and make them slaves. So Israel is living in Egypt as slaves. They start crying out to God, and God brings Moses. Moses takes them... Out of Egypt, God delivers them with signs and wonders, plagues. He parts the Red Sea. They cross on dry land. The Egyptians, we know, are swallowed up by the Red Sea. They end up in the desert for 40 years. They're wandering around in the desert. It's not an easy time, but their, their feet don't ever get swollen, even though they're walking every day. Their clothes don't wear out. They have bread from heaven. They have water from a rock. God provides for them miraculously until he brings them into the promised land. He parts the Jordan River, brings them into the promised land. They defeat all of these powerful kingdoms. They inherit 
houses that they didn't build. They have vineyards that they didn't plant. They have this awesome inheritance in this promised land. Um, then they're ruled by judges. Then they ask for a king, Saul, David, Solomon. The temple's built. But Israel is unfaithful. Jeremiah comes and he says, you're going to get exiled. You're going to lose all of this that God gave you. You're going to get exiled to other countries. Um, you know, you need to, to repent, change your ways. Israel doesn't change. They get exiled to Babylon. <clears throat> and that's kind of where our story picks up, right? Israel's lost all this promised land. They're exiled to Babylon. They're kind of really not even a people anymore because they're scattered across all of Babylon. And actually, the return to Jerusalem didn't happen just with Nehemiah. There was actually three different returns back to Jerusalem. First, God uses Cyrus. Cyrus was this great king of Persia, and he wasn't an Israelite. He wasn't a Jew, but he had this, he was just this benevolent king who um, just had this policy of kindness toward all of his conquered people. And he, he said he allowed them to go and rebuild their religions. And so he allowed the Israelites, the Jews, they were then called, to go home and rebuild the temple. So this was the first return of the Jews back to Israel. Um, and it was led by Zerubbabel, who was actually one of the descendants of King David. So it was the king and these people. And they went back to start rebuilding the temple. After that was Ezra. He's a priest. He's a scribe. He knows the law of God. He returns under a different king to try to teach the people God's ways again. They'd forgotten. They hadn't been able to worship away in Babylon because they didn't have a temple. They couldn't bring sacrifice. They couldn't do any of the things. Um, so they had to relearn God's ways when they went back. So Ezra came back with it on his heart to teach them God's ways. And then this is the story picks up with Nehemiah. And Nehemiah is He's not a priest. He's not a king. He's not a prophet. He's just a guy. He's got a, a, an important job. He's the cupbearer to the king. But he's not really anybody um, significant. But God placed something on his heart. And his brother comes to visit him. And he's asking about Jerusalem because that's where his heart is. And he's like, well, how's Jerusalem? How's everybody back home? What's going on? And his brother says to him, he said, it's, it's not good. Like the walls of the city are broken down. The gates are burned with fire. It's, it's kind of devastated. And Nehemiah is just like gutted when he hears this news because that's, that's his inheritance. That's his home. That's where his, you know, his inheritance in God is, right? So, so Nehemiah is crying, fasting, praying before God for what is about four months before finally one day he approaches the king and the king can see that he's sad and at first, Nehemiah is terrified because you're not, you're not supposed to, like, bring your problems to work, right? So you're, you're supposed to put on a good face when you're in front of the king, but Nehemiah couldn't help it. And the king asks him, you know, what's, what's wrong? What's going on? And, and he takes this moment, and he's bold, and he said, well, you know, like, the city of my father's is destroyed. And, and he prays, and the king asks him, well, what are you asking for? And he asks for provision for a journey back. He has to be able to leave and go back and rebuild the city. And he asks for even funding so that he can have wood to build the walls and to build a house while he lives there. And the king gives him all of these things. He just gives him favor to go back and rebuild Jerusalem. Um, and I just want to take right here and just point out the similarities between Nehemiah and Jesus Christ. Um, Nehemiah is a cupbearer to the king. It's a position of trust. It's a position of intimacy. Yeah, the king has to completely trust Nehemiah to, to take from him the, the wine and, and know that it hasn't been poisoned. You know, Jesus is at the right hand of God the Father. Um, Nehemiah was an intercessor for his people. We know from reading the story of Nehemiah that Nehemiah was a godly man. You know, he was, he was sensitive enough to God's heart that when 
he heard that Jerusalem was destroyed. He was in tears for months, but he prayed as if the sin was his. He said, you know, God, we have been unfaithful. We have, we have abandoned your law. We have abandoned who you are. And he kind of stood in the gap for the rest of the Israelites who, who probably were pretty happy in Babylon. They, they were not slaves in Babylon. They were starting their own businesses. They were living life. They had kind of forgotten their inheritance in God. And he, he stood in the gap and he prayed for, for them. Jesus, when we were still sinners, before when we were loving life in the world, before we knew we needed him, he died on the cross for us so that when we came to the realization that we needed him to, to, to bring us into eternal life, that that salvation had already been paid and, and given to us. Um, and just the restorer of our lives. So Nehemiah understood the importance of a wall, right? So if you see how Jerusalem's being restored— the temple is being restored. The culture is being restored. But nobody's going to move back to a city without walls. A city's walls back in those days was its protection. It was the only way that invade, they could keep invading armies from coming in, just so, you know, easy without any, any fight. It was the only way they could keep out wild animals or robbers. Nobody was going to move back to Jerusalem and begin their life there. And really, the city was not going to thrive again with those walls broken down. And as Christians, you know, Jesus, yes, he wants to save us. He wants to give us eternal life. He wants to save us from eternal death. He wants to teach us his ways so that we can avoid the pitfalls of sin. But he actually also really cares about restoring your life. You know, a lot of us, when we come to Jesus, we've been broken a little bit by the world. We've had some really messed up relationships sometimes, you know, with our own parents or or we've just done things the wrong way for a really long time because we haven't understood these, these values that God teaches us when we come to him. And God actually wants to rebuild those things. He doesn't just want to take you and save you for eternity. He actually wants to change your life and restore your life completely. And if you look at even just, not just as Nehemiah similar to Christ in the sense that he came to rebuild those things, but Actually, even just the restoration of Jerusalem, just like it's the historical endpoint of the story of Israel, kind of like our endpoint as humanity, God's end desire for humanity is the full restoration, right? He came to give us everlasting life, but he also came to restore every part of us. And just as there's three, three returns and three parts of the restoration of Jerusalem, I think there's, there's three really big things that God focuses on when he restores our life. And the first and the very most important thing, just like the temple, the temple needed to be restored first in Jerusalem because Jerusalem was not a city of renown without the God that dwelled in it, right? Like they, when they heard about Israel, they were fearful and they were shaking, not because Israel had this really fancy, like huge army. They heard about the, the God who destroyed nations in front of them and who, who leveled cities for them, who gave them this. They were fearful of their God. And without the temple, without the place where God dwells, it really wasn't a city to be rebuilt. <clears throat> Same thing with our lives, you know, without salvation, without being renewed and born again in our spirit, really God has nothing to rebuild. It says in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 6, that now like we are the temple of God. God isn't dwelling in a building anymore. We don't have to sacrifice sheep and goats to come into his presence. The holy of holies is God dwelling in your spirit? Um, Jesus said that in Ezekiel eleven nineteen, I will give them one heart, a new heart, and I will put a new spirit within them. 
I will take from them the heart of stone, and I will give them a heart of flesh that is responsive to my touch, that they may walk in my statutes and keep my ordinances and do them, and they will be my people, and I will be their God. In Romans 8.15, it's funny, Diamond, that you were sharing it, because I think it's very, it, it's very similar um, same in Romans, for you have, you have not received a spirit of slavery leading again to fear of God's judgment, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, the spirit producing sonship by which we joyfully cry, Abba, Father. God made us as sons, and that is the absolutely first essential part of restoring us to a relationship with him. He has to give us his new spirit within us. We're not going to desire God's ways. We're not going to understand his heart unless we have that new spirit within us. You know, I know so many times I, you know, if, when Gavin and I, especially when we were newly married, I've wanted him to just like, you know, just step into my body for a minute and like understand, you know, my, my frustrations and my thoughts and my feelings. And it, it, he, he cannot, you cannot like, you know, transmit your thoughts to your spouse. You know, how many of you have wished that or your coworkers, you know, just like if they could just step, but, but that, that is what the Spirit does, right? The Spirit searches a man. It knows its innermost parts, right? So when God gives us his Spirit, we get to start knowing his mind. We get to start knowing his heart as the Spirit lives within us, and it softens our heart. It changes our heart. It helps us understand his ways. It, it says in 1 Corinthians 2, 11 through 12, for what person knows the thoughts and motives of a man except for the man's spirit within him? So also no one knows the thoughts of God except for the Spirit of God. And now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Holy Spirit who is from God, so that we may know and understand the wonderful things freely given to us by God. We used to understand the way the world thought. We used to empathize with the world. But now we've been given the Holy Spirit that we can understand God's ways. And God also, just how... Ezra came. Ezra was the one who rebuilt the culture. He's a scribe. He's the law guy, right? He, he understood what needed to happen, the sacrifices that needed to happen for God to really be able to dwell in that temple again, right? So Ezra had dedicated his life to understanding the law and to coming in to reform the people. And if you compare Ezra to Nehemiah, they're very similar, but Ezra's like the serious guy. He's like the one who's like weeping about all the sin, and he's, you know, he's, he's kind of serious. <clears throat> and, uh, when we become Christians, you know, we've all, we've all learned some things from the world. You know, we've all learned there's part of our culture that's from the world that's not of God, right? Ways that we relate to other people, ways that we run our businesses, ways that we do things. You know, you might used to go out drinking every night on the weekend with your friends and you become a Christian and, you know, you kind of just have this feeling like maybe that's not the best thing that God wants you to do with your Friday nights, you know? But, you know, God gives you grace to learn his new ways. Um, even if you grew up in the church, even if you grew up in the church, there can be a lot of things about the church culture that are actually not representative of God's culture. You know, a lot of religious ways that really are not God's hearts. You know, God, God isn't all about the, the rules and the laws. He's actually just about changing our hearts, you know. Um, a long time ago, before I was a, a Christian, when I was like 17, I, I was a smoker. Uh, believe it or not. I mean, I actually probably technically, you know, my grandparents used to smoke in the house and I breathed it and I was probably addicted to cigarettes before I ever smoked. It was just like always around me. Um, and I wasn't like the once in a while I go to a party, like smoke a cigarette. I was like, I, I was addicted. I had to have them on me, you know. And I would always hear these stories about people who like, yeah, I was smoked for 10 years. And then all of a sudden God, like I started smoking and God made it taste like, you know, a horrible cleaning solution and I could never smoke again, you know. And 
or all of a sudden I just didn't want it anymore. And it, that was not how it happened for me. Like, it was hard. It was like, I became a Christian. I had the fear of God put in my heart, and I was like, okay, I'm going to give it up. I'm not going to do it anymore. In, in retrospect, I can see that that's God's grace to put that fear in me strong enough to me to say I'm not going to do it anymore. But it wasn't like he just took the desire away. I think sometimes when we come to Jesus and we're reading the Bible and we're getting his word in us, Sometimes, you know, he might highlight something that we need to change, and it, it might actually hurt a little bit, and it might actually feel a little bit like death. When Ezra first read the law to the people of Israel, they started weeping. They started crying. They're like, oh my goodness, like, we have been, like, so far from, from you know, they were just, like, they were defeated. They felt defeated because they hadn't been living a life that was in accordance to God's law. They just started crying. And Nehemiah came in there and he said, you know, this is not, this is not a time for weeping. This is a time for joy. You need to go out. You need to like celebrate, have meals with your friends, throw a party. Like this is a good day. God's restoring us to the city. And he had to tell them to have joy. And I think sometimes, you know, you come to Jesus, it's like you, you, you're looking at the things you have to give up. You're looking at the things you have to change sometimes, but it, it, it is a joyful season. Like if God is asking you, to cut something off of your life, it's so that he can grow healthy, healthy branches. If he's pruning you and asking you to cut things off that are, that are you're kind of attached to or might be kind of deeply rooted in your life, the, the purpose is for restoration. The purpose is so that he can give you something everlasting. If there's a relationship in your life that God is saying is no good and he's asking you to cut it off, it's so that he can bring about the good relationships that he has for you, the ones that are founded in him, the ones that have eternal value, the ones that won't end in pain. You know, if you, even with broken bones, you know, sometimes you break a bone, and to set the bone so that it can heal, it has to be rebroken. You know, sometimes in the pruning process, when we come to God and things in our lives are not, don't fit with his word, he might have to break us a little bit again so that we can be healed, so that we can actually get things right again in our lives. Um, one verse, um, Psalm 19. The law of the Lord is perfect, it's flawless, restoring and refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are reliable and trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, bringing joy to the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, reminded, illuminated, and instructed. And in keeping them, there is a great reward. God's given us like the cliff notes to life, right, in his word. He's told us how to, to find life, how to find peace, how to live and dwell in a place where we have his favor, where we have his goodness. He's given us his instructions, and we just have to receive them. We just have to surrender to them. Uh, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. Don't be impressed with your own wisdom. Instead, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Then you will have healing for your body and strength for your bones. Proverbs 3, 5 through 8. You, you got to kind of ignore your own understanding sometimes when you're coming out of the world and you're, you're learning God's ways because the world will tell you one thing. 
but God will tell you, you something different. You've got to trust his heart that he's working life in you. You've got to trust his heart that the things that he's working in you as you're obedient to him and as you're following him are to bring life and for your best, for your restoration, for your good. Um, and then the last thing, rebuilding our walls. Um, we all have brokenness that we have from the world, even if, again, even if you were, grew up in the church, you know, sometimes I've seen some people who are really who hold the most bitterness are people who grew up in the church um, because they've seen people who are Christians or who are leaders, and, and, and I'm saying, I'm doing this, but I mean, they probably are, but they might not have God's heart, you know, and sometimes that, that can create the most bitterness of like, I've been to the church and I've seen so much um, insincerity and I've seen so much that it's just like, and they have a little bit of bitterness, and they don't go away from God completely, but that's like an area of their heart that's broken. It's trust that's broken. Um, and of course, those of us that, you know, lived in the world uh, before we came to Christ, we definitely have some brokenness that God needs to fix. You know, broken understanding of, of our, you know, our, our relationships with our fathers, broken understanding of um, love and trust. You know, it's hard for us to trust God because we haven't had a lot of trustworthy people in our lives, you know, and God has to build those things up. Um, and when Jesus left, when he ascended into heaven, when he left, he, he, he sent the Holy Spirit, um, who is the comforter, right? And uh, coincidentally, Nehemiah's name also means comfort. And Nehemiah came and he rallied the people to help them build the wall to, to get that protection, to restore Jerusalem. And I think it's, it's kind of significant that this area of our lives, it was something where um, we kind of have to co-labor with God. We kind of have to be willing to work with God to, to rebuild some things in our lives. You know, <laughs> if, you're fi- if when you come to God, your finances are crazy and out of order, and you just like, you, you know, God's probably not going to buy his Holy Spirit, give you the winning lottery numbers. Like, that's probably not how he's going to, you know, like restore that area of your life. But as you're obedient to him and as you follow him, like he's going to teach you, you know, how to use money honorably, what to do and give you wisdom so that you can get out of that place where there's been corruption and where that area of your life's been broken down. He's going to give you wisdom and how to build that wall back with him. You know, with relationships, you know, you might struggle with your relationship, but God is probably not going to just miraculously make your spouse into a saint, you know, and they're going to just be perfect and always be the one asking for forgiveness when you're fighting and things like that. But he might instruct you in a day-to-day basis. You know, Mike and Kalina might appreciate this because we had Connect Group this week, and uh, Gavin and I had a, had a little bit of a hard week because Gavin was preaching for his preaching course on Tuesday, and I was preparing for Sunday. And like I said, I had nothing, you know. Um, and it was Wednesday afternoon, and I, I get two hours every week by myself. That's it. That's all I get. I have two hours where both of my kids are in school, and I don't have to sleep because I didn't work the night before. And Gavin calls me halfway through those two hours, and he said, well, what are you thinking for tonight? What have you prepared for Connect Group tonight to me? And I, he's like, because, you know, because he's like, you know, I'm busy at work, and you didn't show me this book that we're supposed to be going over with Mike and Galena, and you arranged this, and like, blah, 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 And I was like, I was so mad. I was like, really? <laughs> me? I have to do this? I have so much on my plate right now. Like, I have to get the house clean. I have to get dinner, and like, I'm supposed to like, but so I, I, I kind of just like hung up on him, 
And then like two seconds later, you know, coincidentally, I'm thinking about my preach while I'm doing this. I'm like being sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And I hear the Holy Spirit like, actually, Megan, you know, you kind of did think about this already. You kind of did actually prepare a little something. And you're just angry that he's asking you, but you actually kind of did. Like, you know, you did. You can, you can do it. And so I called him back and I was like, actually, you know, I can do tonight. I have been thinking about it a little bit. I do have something on my heart I can share, okay? And, you know, God, like, God, like, brought some reparation to, to that relationship, you know, but it's like sometimes you can just fight just because you, just on principle, like, just because you want to fight a little bit. Do you know what I mean? Just because, like, I didn't want him to expect me to do it, even though I totally was planning on doing it anyways. Do you know what I mean? It, it, it it's those things where if you listen to the Holy Spirit, like, you can give each other grace. Like, you can be the first one to give. Like, you can say, I understand. Like, you had a hard week, and maybe I had a harder week, but hey, like, that's, that's, that's okay. Like, I can be the extra strong one this week. That's fine. <laughs> you know, that's fine. Um, you know? <laughs> he didn't know. He didn't know I was going to use that story. <laughs> uh, good dunk. Sorry. You know, because, and, and then in all fairness, he usually is the one that takes on that burden, you know, and, and, but it was, you know, God had already put it on my heart. It would already, it was already, and, and, you know, as spouses, you can kind of sense that with each other too. Do you know what I mean? You can kind of sense when somebody's, you know, you have that relationship where you don't always have to communicate things. He, I think he could probably sense I'd already been thinking and planning about it. And he was just making sure. Um, and I didn't have to respond in anger like I did the first time. And if we're sensitive to the Holy Spirit, he can bring that. He can bring us into a place where we have peace um, with each other. But it's a walk, you know, and it's a participation. I didn't have to call Gavin back. I could have stood on my principle and said, like, no, like, I have 10 times more things to do than him, and he should do it. But it really, it, it really didn't have to be like that. You can, you can be humble. You can be surrendered to God working in your life. You can be um, working with him on rebuilding the wall. You know, a funny thing I was reading in one of the commentaries, Ezra versus Nehemiah. So Ezra's going back to, you know, do his part of the rebuilding of Jerusalem. And, and Ezra's asking the king, can I go back? And the king's like, yeah. And he, he didn't want to ask the king for protection. Like, mind you, the trip from Babylon, from Persia to Jerusalem is 900 miles. It's a four-month journey. And there are lots of kingdoms. There, you are vulnerable on that journey. It is not a safe journey. But Ezra didn't want, to ask God, didn't want to ask the king for protection because he's like, I just told the king that the God that I serve, is he fights for his people and he's this mighty God. And if I say, well, but actually, can I have a little guard to go with me? Like, he's like, that's kind of like, you know, it's not really boasting in my God. It's not really showing that I'm trusting in this God that I just told you was this great God. So Ezra's like, we're going to fast, we're going to pray for protection, and we're going to trust God's going to protect us on the way to Jerusalem. And that's what they did, and, and God did. He was faithfully protected them. Nehemiah, on the other hand, is like, hey, can you write letters to the guys across the river and tell them I'm coming, and can you send me with your guard? And, like, he took everything the king would give him. But it, and they were both God-fearing men. They were both obedient men. They were both following what God had put on their hearts. But it was different things on their hearts for different seasons for different purposes. And I think, like, there are some things in our walk with Jesus that we can't do. I, I cannot regenerate my own spirit. You know what I mean? I cannot be born. I cannot make myself born again. I cannot raise myself from the dead. I cannot give myself eternal life. Like those are works that God does graciously for us just because he loves us, right? Those are things that God does just by his spirit and his love. But there are some things where it's a little bit more of a cooperative thing with Jesus. We've got to walk with him. We've got to, we've got to, 
build with him. We've got to say, okay, God, I have this area of sin in my life. I know, and I know you still love me, even though I have that, but I know it's not your best for me. So I'm going to, I'm going to surrender it, and I'm going to, I'm going to walk with you to help rebuild a right way of looking at this area of my life, you know? And coming up for prayer, you know, I mean, it, it's okay. It doesn't make you, doesn't make anybody think that there, you've got something wrong in your life when you come up for prayer after church. Like, we all need prayer all the time. You know, Gavin and I were with some friends of ours, and they're leaders from the church we used to go to, and they're people we respect. And, um, you know, the wife was just saying she grew up in a Christian home. She grew up always knowing uh, Jesus, but, like, God had done some really significant inner healing in her heart just, like, a couple of months ago. Um, and she was crying in front of everybody at church, and it was a little bit embarrassing, but, but she was like, she knew, she knows, she understood that the process of God restoring us it, is a lifelong process. It, it has nothing to do with how holy you are, or how godly you are, you know, like we all need prayer. We all need to work through things, and it's, it doesn't make you, you know, it doesn't mean that there's something wrong. You know, you should come up if there's something you're working with. Be accountable to other people or to the leaders in the church. Have people pray with you. Um, and don't be afraid. You know, that's, that's part of walking it through with God. That's part of you being honest about the fact that you need to work through those things. Um, I have no idea how long I just talked for, but I'm going to bring it into a, bring it into an, a halt. <laughs> um, but just like practically speaking, um, like what we can do, you know, like first and foremost, if you have not received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, like that is, that is step one. That is the first thing you need to have this life that, of restoration that God wants for you. You need to receive Jesus as your Savior and allow him to be your Lord. Um, you, need to, you need to read God's word. You need to understand his heart. You need to understand He's, he told us how to live in his word. You need to get that into you by reading his word, by coming to church and being part of the community. Um, and that word, it washes us, it transforms us, it teaches us about God's heart. It brings up things in our lives that he might need to correct. Um, it's living word, and you need, to, you need to fill your life with it. Um, and then number three, you, you've got to bring your brokenness to Jesus. You know, you can't pretend you've got it all together when you come to Jesus. If your relationships are not 100% right and there's something wrong, or if you're drawn to, you know, these unhealthy relationships or in these bad patterns, or if you're, you know, struggling to, with any area of your life, you need to, you need to be willing to be humble, to seek counsel, to seek prayer, um, to surrender these things to God, and to walk out um, allowing him to repair those things in your life, knowing that that's his ultimate goal, right? He wants to restore us. He doesn't want us to live as slaves to this world. He, he set us free. He wants us to enjoy that freedom and live in that freedom.